In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hello and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Amy. And I'm Erin. And this is a special Broads and Books bonus episode. Today on the Broads Talk Books with, we've got Melissa Falavino. And I'm beyond excited. You recommended her book, Tomboy Land, and, and chose it for your favorite nonfiction pick of last year. I did. And I'll admit something. I felt like I was fangirling pretty hard during this interview. I think I admitted that there were a few moments where I felt like maybe I should leave you two alone to geek out. And over that would have been things. dangerous. I don't think Melissa would have kept us in contact after that. <laughs> um, you know, we could have spent an hour talking about her pop culture picks, especially, or I could have spent an hour making her talk about them. Yeah. Which is probably where it would have gone. Still great, though. Yeah. Either way. Mm-hmm. But we got Melissa on Zoom, and she told us about her towering stacks of TBR piles, her struggles with Shakespeare, releasing a book in the pandemic, and her music writing. Which is where I might have gone into a fugue state. Yeah, I kind of noticed that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've put all the books Melissa mentions in the show notes, so you can add them all to your TBR pile. And now, here's our interview with Melissa Falavino. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the books that you enjoyed growing up, the books that have made a big impact on you, what you're reading now, that kind of thing. So I hope that we can just zone out of this terrible world for a little bit and talk about books. Into it. Excellent. It's like my favorite thing. (laughs) Yes. Well, thinking about, yeah, absolutely. Thinking about when you were um, a kid or a teen, do you have a particular book that you remember as being one of your favorites? I have a few that stick out. I remember when I was <laughs> when I was a really little kid, for some reason I was obsessed with John Steinbeck's The Red Pony, which okay. says a lot, I think, about my personality. Like mm-hmm. it's such 
a sad book. And like, and I, like, I think that when I was a kid, I was actually kind of like weird and funny and precocious, but I loved this incredibly sad book. Uh, and I used to read it all the time. I read it cover to cover all the time. And then I was also really interested in, um, I had kind of, I, I would say definitely an obsession with like anthropomorphized animals. Like that was my jam. Mm -hmm. uh, so I read a series called Hank the Cowdog, which was, if I recall. <laughs> Best name um, ever. <laughs> right? And it was like, it was written by this guy in Texas. And I recently looked it up because I was writing about it. And um, it's about like, from what I can remember, a, a crime solving um, hound dog who lives on a farm and wow. like solves crimes and mysteries that happen on the farm. And um, his nemesis is this barn cat. And um, one of like the first sort of uh, experiences I had with writing was I basically just ripped that off, but, mm -hmm. but flipped the script and I wrote a series I don't remember what the character's name was, but it was a crime-solving barn cat whose nemesis was a dog because I'm much more a cat person than a dog person. So, um, and then like looking back, I was like, wow, I just wholesale like lifted <laughs> this story when I was, you know. I think I'd switch that and just say you pioneered fan fiction. That's like, a better way to put it, yes. Yeah, yes. you just, you're like, this is it. Yep. Everyone follow. <laughs> that, those were my tie-in novels. <laughs> Also, Aaron uh, has a son who's obsessed with cats, and I think oh, that your your book, uh, the one that you wrote as a yeah. kid, that would really speak to him. I'm gonna have yeah. to try to find it, and I'll <laughs> I'll send him a copy. Uh, I believe they were illustrated too. I think I did drew because I used to draw comics and stuff, so I think I was like always illustrating these barn animals. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, when I got a little older, I was really into Christopher Pike. Um, oh, you know, yeah. like the vampire novels, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Super into horror. I read a lot of Stephen King when I was a kid, much too early. Um, <laughs> and uh, R.L. Stein. I was I was into the creepy, the, the the horror books for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. One of the things that we've talked about and readers have mentioned before is that they encountered a classic maybe too early or they weren't ready for it, and it kind of they hit a road bump in their reading life. We've mm -hmm. talked about that was for us was Moby Dick. Do you remember there being a classic that you struggled with? Oh, Shakespeare. I, I hated Shakespeare. Hated <laughs> Shakespeare. And we, I think in, in high school, even when I had already kind of like identified that I was like interested in reading, you know, as a hobby and maybe was going to study in college, which I did. And um, I, I just, I had a Shakespeare class in high school and it was just like death. I hate it. It was just the worst. And I think even in college reading Shakespeare, I was like, I just, I wanted to like it so badly. And I loved going to plays. My parents and I went to see Shakespeare plays a lot at this like outdoor theater in Wisconsin. Oh, cool. Um, so I liked the plays. I just hated reading it. And yeah. it wasn't until much later that I developed an appreciation for it. And mm -hmm figured out why <laughs> why it was important to still read it and study Did your um, high school teacher make you read it aloud? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we recited it all the time. We did like round robins, you know, mm -hmm. so everyone would take a character and, and sort of recite Which it. Which made it worse, I think. It's like all these kids <laughs> are dead inside and hating it, just <laughs> like, I don't want to do this. 
<laughs> yes, yes. Although one thing that I remember like specifically was this kid who I grew up with, you know, I grew up in a really small town. So we all knew each other from like kindergarten to, you know, senior year. We were all in the same school. And this kid who was like quintessential, like scony dude who hunted and fished and was just like, he had been kind of a bully when he was younger and, and kind of was outgrowing the bulliness, but still was kind of like a meathead. And I liked him, but he was like, you know, this like yep. quintessential Wisconsin dude. And he would, I remember him in my Shakespeare class reading and he like came alive reading Shakespeare. Oh my and I was, gosh. I remember being like, whoa, Mike really is into this and is really <laughs> good at it. Like, and it, it was, it was so incongruous and awesome. I still I think about what, that all the time. I wonder what Mike's doing these days. Right? You know, actually, yeah. I sort of um, internet stalked him recently because his mom contacted <laughs> me. His mother, who was my fourth grade, little secret about me, I, for one, one season, one football season in fourth grade, I was a cheerleader. And um, oh. I know, I know. Uh, and she was my cheerleading coach. And she wrote me when the book came out and was like, I just wanted to let you know I read your book and I oh, loved it. And cool. she filled me in on what her kids were doing. And I was like, say out a mic for me. And I found him on Instagram. He's like, still like, he's a huge fisher. He's like a competitive fisherman. And okay. so all the pictures are of like him holding up giant northerns and muskies and stuff. And mm -hmm. still think about that Shakespeare. Yeah. Maybe he's <laughs> still reading it to himself in his, I hope so. in his office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you were, you know, getting older and finding, uh, you know, reading the books that you were reading, were there any particular that you remember standing out as like, this is what I want to do. This is what, this is guiding me. Yeah, for sure. I feel like the book that I read that, so it was kind of, I remember it being sort of a tiered process. Like I read a book in high school that I was like, oh, this is what books can do. And mm -hmm. that was Jane Eyre, which I think it probably is for a lot of people. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but I just remember reading that book and like something cracked open, you know, like look at what literature can be, mm -hmm. look, look what books can do. Um, and then we read Wide Sargasso Sea and I was just mm. obsessed with that whole world. And then it probably wasn't until I got to college that I, um, when I started reading essays, like personal essays, and that's when I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. That's mm -hmm. like, that's it. And it was probably David Sedaris, you know, and I was like, I'm going to be a humorist. And then it turns out like every time I try to write something funny, it just turns into something incredibly sad. <laughs> 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 but I still have hope that I like have some like comic essays in me. But um, yeah, we read, we read him and we read um, uh, Megan Dom's My Mis Misspent Youth. And um Oh, like Barbara Ehrenreich, Nickel and Dimed. You know, oh, it was yeah. it was sort of like um, really interesting to me to see what nonfiction could do. This sort yeah. of like nar narrative nonfiction that's kind of a, a marriage of journalism and um, personal narrative. Mm -hmm. So that was those were probably the kinds of books that was like, okay, this is this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember, Aaron, you're a huge fan, but I remember David Sedaris being funny, but also sad. There's a lot of sad. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yes. I Especially think, I, lately, like more so in the last couple of books, big time, yeah. he's really delved into some of those dark areas. 
Yeah, it's interesting to watch that trajectory too. Like this, you know, as the writer gets older, sort of grappling with more serious things and death, mm-hmm. and you know, his family members that he's lost. And but yeah, I think the I know the first one I read was Barrel Fever, which is super absurd. There's like it's just like so funny and so wild and just like bombastic. And and I was uh, I took that with me. I was Madison had this great film festival every year, and I was going to see some movies. And I was early to a movie and I brought it with me and I was sitting in like a dimly lit theater waiting for the movie to start reading that book and just like cracking up, like cackling. <laughs> <laughs> Could not stop cackling. Just like people were filing in and I just kept reading and cackling. And the person I was with was like, okay, you need to stop reading this right now. <laughs> Thinking a little bit about your reading life now, how many books would you say are on your to be read pile? And are there a few you can share? <laughs> we totally always, selfish on our part. Like, oh my God. Gratification, yeah. And we always love seeing the expressions of like, Oh, shit. <laughs> I mean like towering the stack. Mm-hmm. I, I have a couple stacks and they're literally towering. One is on my nightstand and it's like, I mean, listeners can't see what I'm doing with my hands, but it's like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's just like, and it like it looks so precarious, like it's going to fall over, and I don't fix it, and I don't take anything off of it. I just keep adding. No, my TV red pile is always massive, and it's it's a combination of books that I just want to read because I know I, I want to read them, and books that I might cover as a writer, like interview their authors that publicists have sent me that, you know, have been kind of like, you know, trying to get me to um, review or interview them. And so I've got kind of both of those stacks going at once and they are massive. I can't, (laughs) I can't even give you a number. It's like dozens, dozens. (laughs) Well, that's helpful because yeah, like Aaron said, it's a fully selfish question. We just want to feel like we're not the only ones that it's unachievable. You are not alone. You are not alone. (laughs) I don't know how anyone ever does it like does anyone ever get to all of their to be read books i don't, I don't think so I feel like no. No. Yeah. there's something no i don't know it seems impossible there's also something about like the anticipation i think like looking at all that possibility mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so as you've been looking at that possibility and you start chipping away and you start reading it have there been any books lately that have really surprised you that have really been you know have really stood out yeah definitely um one that I just fell in love with that I knew nothing about was a debut novel by a writer named Gabriel Bump. Yeah, um, Aaron. Do you know that. him? Yeah. Oh, so I good. loved it. I loved yeah. it so much. And so he, Gabe is, um, so I'm teaching at UNC right now, and he got hired um, to teach fiction there oh, starting cool. next year. And I got oh, to wow. be, sit in on like one of his like late stage interviews, and he read for that. Um, for that like meet meet the faculty thing and I was just like ooh I can't wait and then we we kind of connected cuz he's from Chicago and and he had spent a lot of time in the UP of Michigan and I kind of grew up going there all the time and um m- my family vacationed there every year to the UP and I was like I know Chicago I know like the UP let's talk about the Midwest and so when he was putting together his uh paperback tour he got in touch and said would you want to do uh, an event with me at for w- women and children first in Chicago. Oh my God, that's perfect. And I was like, yes, I yes. love that store. Um, and so I got a copy of this book 
and just like read it in two sittings and loved it. It's so funny. It's so powerful. Like such a, I don't know. It reminded me of reading um, Jesus' Son by Dennis Johnson. Mm -hmm. Like it was just like really propulsive and urgent and um, really funny. So that's that one for sure. And I'm going to be telling everybody about that Mm -hmm. uh, for a while, forever, probably. And let's see what else. So many. Are you looking at a pile right now? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm currently reading the forthcoming collection from um, a friend of mine who is also one of my favorite writers, Melissa Phoebos. Oh, yeah. Her new collection is called Girlhood. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just so good, so brilliant. You know, she writes about feminism and girlhood and queerness and um, the body, and it's just like she's at her best. I think highly recommend that. That's coming in March. What else? There's so many. Oh man, I could I could just talk. I could answer this question forever. So you probably have to stop me at some point. <laughs> oh, another one that I'm reading right now um, that I kind of just started picking through was uh, another essay collection called um, White Magic by Alyssa Washuda. Oh. That's, um, that's coming this spring too from Tin House. Like, I, I don't even know how to describe it. There's a lot of like mysticism and, and magic, and but she also talks about like race and identity as an indigenous writer. And um, it's, it's great. How do you normally find your book recommendations? I guess it's mostly word of mouth, people, you know, friends that I have, especially people who are kind of like in the whole like writing literary world will be like freaking out about something. And if enough people that I love and respect are freaking out about something, I'll get a copy. An example of that is the, is this novel called Detransition Baby that just came yes. out by uh-huh. Tori Peters, who I also found out is my neighbor. Like she lives like three doors down from me oh on my street. She used to live literally next door to me and we, we connected on, actually Melissa Phoebos put us in touch and she was like, I think you guys live on the same street. Anyway, so we're both in the same neighborhood and I'm really excited to read her book. Um, but yeah, I think like word of mouth and then um, publicists send me stuff all the time to, to cover. And I have like a, a, you know, there are, certain publicists who if they tell me like this is a book you're gonna like I trust them and mm-hmm. usually I'll I'll read that so those are my usual sources just adding to the top of your yeah. stacks yeah towering um well we recommended Tomboy Land in a past episode and it was actually it was my top nonfiction pick of last year oh, so thank you. It. um are there any you know particular books or authors that you think inspired that book in particular um any midwest writers that kind of thing yeah um probably the biggest one is um joanne beard um who was in iowa she was born and raised in iowa um if you haven't read her book the boys of my youth highly recommend it i actually have a copy right here to show you on my desk i never leave home without it it's always next to my writing desk um I studied with her in my graduate program and um, she was my thesis advisor and she just like, I don't know. I just, um, she's kind of like my magnetic North, Mm -hmm. Um, but she writes about growing up in the Midwest and um, girlhood and she writes about like heavy stuff. Um, Like her, the essay that kind of made her famous was this piece that was published in the New Yorker in like 96 called The Fourth State of Matter, 
Hmm. Um, and it was about the shooting that happened at the University of Iowa when she worked there. Um, but it's also about like loss and divorce, like her, she's in the middle of a divorce and her dog is dying. And, and then this whole like huge, hugely traumatic thing happens and it's really intense, but it's also really funny. Like she, she manages to strike this balance between like very kind of heavy material and Mm -hmm. like this light sort of always kind of like wry perspective so she's great, and she has pro- she probably influenced the writing of Tomboy Land the most, I would mm-hmm. say, and then probably Rebecca Solnit as well. Mm. Then explained things to me, mm-hmm. uh, the mother of all questions. And then there's this book that she wrote before though that kind of series of more like social, uh, sociocultural essays. She wrote a book called uh, A Field Guide to Getting Lost, which I also have right here at my desk. <laughs> Yeah, looking we love the covers. Yeah, I I keep this stack of like all the books that I you know when I'm writing, I'll just kind of pick it up from my little stack by my desk and like flip to something, and sometimes that unlocks something. Yeah, yeah. So those two probably were the most influential. Mm -hmm. I would say. Maybe thinking back a little bit, maybe pre-pandemic or even as you said, some people have reached out. Do you have a most memorable fan interaction? That could be humorous, Ooh. serious. We've heard bad. a lot of strange <laughs> fan interactions. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely had some strange ones. <laughs> I yeah, it's hard to pick a strange one because there have been a lot. It's I think the nature of this book is like it's been really cool to see, um, but it's also just kind of wild and a brand new experience to me that people want to like strangers want to reach out and like tell me their story and wow that is it feels like a huge responsibility but I'm also really grateful for it but sometimes I'm like oh my god I don't know how to respond to this you know like yeah sometimes people get in touch and they're like telling me stuff that I'm like I think you know there are probably other people that you can talk to that'll be more helpful in navigating this question you know um but it has been really cool to see that like people read this and they feel this like kind of connection and they want to share this thing that in, in many ways, a lot of the people who write me are like, I've never really, I never really talk about this or I I don't, you know, tell people about this because it's not something that I was raised to talk about or, you know, and so it comes back to that a lot. Like we don't talk about ourselves. Right. People tend to be Midwestern and they're Mm -hmm. like, you know, so that's been both like really cool and really um, strange. But one of like the best was my was my fifth grade teacher, my fifth grade homeroom teacher got in touch and was oh, like, wow. I don't know if you remember me. And I was like, of course, I re- you don't, no one forgets their fifth grade teacher, you know? Yeah. It was like, she got in touch and she was like, I read your book and I loved it. And she was just like, she's been such a, a vocal um champion of it on social media she posts about it and stuff and so that was really lovely that's so cool I imagine yeah I imagine we've talked about this with other nonfiction writers too that the nature of nonfiction it's very um vulnerable in a way um good that yeah that most of them have either been positive or sharing their own stories as much of a weight that must be for you yeah hear some of their stories yeah and it you know I think that I my like mode of self-preservation which is not a great one is that I just I I take a really long time to respond to emails so now I have like (laughs) 
50 unresponded emails. Oh, of like, you have I mean, a stack my, of emails. I yeah. do. I do. It's my to be my TBR <laughs> to be responded to email <laughs> list. Uh, I I am going to get to all of them eventually. That's my goal. But mm-hmm. um, you know, like it takes a lot to yeah I bet. show up for that. You know, in a really kind of present, honest way. And I, I can't do it all the time. You know, when the brain space is limited. Mm-hmm. As part of, you know, when this book came out and, and maybe the pandemic affected this, but <laughs> were there authors that you wanted to meet and you did meet as a result of getting this book out into the world? Mm. There, are a co- I think a few people whose books came out in 2020 with me around the same time, that was kind of the best, like I, I met them you know, virtually yeah. either on Twitter or at some event or something. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, this this is my feeling, but I, I've talked to a few writers who have this experience too, but it feels like those of us who had our first books come out during the pandemic are like this crew, you know, and we're just like, this was wild and it mm-hmm. is what it was. And, you know, it's all we can do. And we kind of have a good network of like, like a few people that I've met, we text one another. We're like, how you doing? You know, still mourning the fact that we couldn't, you know, go anywhere and launch our book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, so that's been really nice and really helpful in this uh, experience. Um, one of those writers is uh, Alison Wood, who wrote a book called um, Being Lolita. That was her oh, debut yes. memoir. She and I know each other we were both um epiphany breakout eight writers and she was in my sort of cohort so i've oh, gotten to wild. know her a little bit and that's oh, that's so great that yeah that's awesome yeah. yeah and i didn't i had you know we hadn't heard of each other until uh if we figured out our because our books launched on the same day so we we're like oh we share a pub day and so we were kind of checking in on pub day and stuff and you know we're alone in our apartments when our books are coming out. We're like, what, what are you doing? How you doing? <laughs> like, uh, you okay? You doing some, something nice for yourself today? Like, <laughs> sitting at home, like freaking out, you know? Um, so yeah, that's in lieu of, you know, like the dream of touring and meeting people and getting to do events with people. Um, that's been really yeah. cool. Yeah. And then there's Tori Peters down the street that exactly. you'll go meet at some point. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I did some vir- virtual events. Um, I did quite a few virtual events and I met a lot of writers that way too, nice. especially at like reading series and things like that. All the launch events that I did virtually, I did with friends. So Melissa Phoebos did an event with me. Um, Alex Marzano Lesnovich, who I know you had on the show. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Elena Passarello, who's an essayist and friend of mine, whose work I love. So that was nice, too, being able to, mm-hmm. like, have a few virtual events and have them with people that I really like and whose work I really respect. And yeah. that felt kind of dreamy, you know, very dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> How would you say that your reading life has changed since you became an author? Good question. I think I definitely have more of a... Um, I don't know. I'm interested in like the life of the book in a way that maybe mm-hmm. I wasn't as much before. I, I was always kind of interested in that because I worked as an editor for a really long time at Poets and Writers Magazine. So we were always covering like the story of a book or a writer's life yeah. or whatever. So I was always kind of interested in that. But I find myself reading and thinking like, how long did this take you? You know, like what challenges did you 
knowing what I know now, like mm-hmm. about the process and how kind of difficult it is and how wild it is. I'm interested in like, what were your moments where you were like, this sucks or this is crazy <laughs> or this is not what I imagined it would be or whatever. I, I want to know everybody's like publication story basically. Yeah. Do you think that there is a book that everyone should read? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of responsibility. Oh my God. Yeah. A lot of choices. Yee. I'm looking at my <laughs> shelf right now, trying to pick one. This is a really tough question. Yes, I do think that. <laughs> good, good stalling tactic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm like tempted to say anything by Toni Morrison. Uh, That's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read Song of Solomon when I was in high school, and that was like like the best one of the the best things that a teacher ever assigned you know Mm -hmm. um was for like an ap us history class and it was like i learned so much about history through this book through a a great idea yeah Yeah. Yeah. so yeah everybody should read tony morrison everybody should read james baldwin Mm. uh everybody should read i don't know maybe everyone should read jane Eyre. everybody should read shakespeare i guess (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I actually believe that, but you know, yeah. I, I understand. That's fair. <laughs> well, at the end of our episodes, we like to talk about pop culture things we're obsessed with. It might be podcasts, movie, TV, music. Is there something that you're obsessed with right now? Yes. Um, but what, how do I limit this to one thing? <laughs> you don't have to, you can tell us have. a handful of things that are. Okay. you. Um, all right. Well, weirdly, in terms of pop culture, I'm not uh, consuming anything new right now. I'm consuming a lot of older stuff. Mm-hmm. And I wonder about this pandemic and our mentalities and like the way that we've been kind of returning to the comfortable things, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I recently started rewatching <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. <gasps> oh, yeah. <That's laughs> oh, you hit one. Amy. Oh, boy. <laughs> It's like one of my favorite shows ever, Uh and I'm sorry, but like the Edward James Almost, Mary McConnell, like situation is the best thing that's ever happened on television. And I heard recently that they're rebooting it, and I was like, no, 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 you can't. I know. Why do they do this? There's, it's a perfect thing. It's perfect in its imperfection. It's perfect, and it does not need to be rebooted. It's just glorious. The damn so, youths ruining everything. The youths. <laughs> the youths. Um, so that for sure. And then um, I am, uh, just to do a little plug, every year I write for this um, uh, tournament of essays about music um, called March Exodus. It's a different thing each year. So uh, it's, it's based on like March Madness. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been March Badness worst songs ever um and this year is march plaidness and it's uh grunge era music oh oh my gosh now you really got her yeah (laughs) she was Um, and now it's real bad (laughs) yeah no it's gonna be a really good one it start. it's it's the month month of march it runs and then and it's um you get you can pick your top like three choices of songs to represent and then you write about it 
and um, I got my like third, it was either my second or third choice, uh, which is, um, and this is part of the question is like, does it, does this song fit into the word grunge and what does grunge mean? And like all this right. you know, stuff anyway, is uh, Everclear Santa Monica. The song oh, I'm about. Love that song. Yeah. yeah. I mean, who doesn't, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So I've been listening to that nonstop, like on repeat for like two months. <laughs> so that's great though. It's a sunny song. Well, yeah. sort of, you know, yeah. talking about yeah. oceans and yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, I'm really living in the 90s, early 2000s right now. That's, that's where I live usually, yeah. actually. <laughs> there were problems, but there wasn't a pandemic. True. Yeah. True. And <laughs> we had Battlestar Galactica, which... We did. <laughs> I sort of feel like I need to like back out and let you guys have a moment. For <laughs> I was afraid Melissa was going to say like riot girl stuff. And then I was just going to explode like, oh, oh, yeah. like out, no. you know? Yeah. I mean, that would have been great. A friend of mine is, is repping uh, bikini kill in the, in this tournament, which I'm jealous yeah. about. So, yeah. Yeah. Last year for badness, I wrote about um, <laughs> the timeless classic. Uh, Nothing's going to stop us now by starship. <laughs> <laughs> Which I maintain oh, is the worst song ever written. <laughs> That's the one from Mannequin, right? Like exactly. the movie. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which, for while researching that essay, of course, I had to watch Mannequin. Yes. Which is wild. <laughs> oh, I bet it's so bad. So bad. Like uh, maybe the worst movie ever. And maybe. the character of Hollywood, I bet, is just cringing. Oh, oh Such a caricature. Yeah. Oof. I mean, the whole thing is just one big problem. Um, <laughs> but. It's it's fun in a way to watch just to sort of like get a glimpse into a time and be like, this is what this is what was being made. Uh-huh. <laughs> there has been some progress. Sometimes it doesn't seem that way. There has been some progress. And that is what kids like us were watching and consuming. Yeah. 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 Yes. Oh boy. Well, Melissa, those were our questions. Very much enjoyed getting to know you a little bit and talking about books. And I had a great time. time. Oh, yeah. No, this is my whole, this is my favorite thing. Favorite conversation. (laughs) Books and Battlestar Galactica. Oh, Aaron. Mm. As I said, I was a fangirl. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot to fangirl about. There is. She had me at Crime Solving Dog Book. Yeah, yeah. Because basically she started fan fiction (laughs) with her own crime solving and i loved it yeah and i think mason would love it oh man wouldn't he he would he'd be all over it see he would be as much a fan as we are at this point yes he probably wouldn't remember her name but he'd be like cats crime solving cat yeah Yeah, yes Mm -hmm. um i love that she reinforced that uh reading aloud for shakespeare is just a bad idea it's not great no No. it's not great i'm glad that you know that um fellow in her class really came alive but (laughs) otherwise it's you know it's a losing proposition, I think. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, finding out that somebody else has towering stacks of TBR piles mm-hmm. is always a nice treat. It really is. Mm-hmm. I also like to see the face, the oh. kind of face melter of Isn't like, oh, great? like there's a moment of shame. We're like, no, Mm-mm. this is, we need this. Yes. Yeah. Help Go us ahead. feel better about ourselves. <laughs> That's what we're doing. Here. We are not shaming you. We are inviting you yes. into this world in which it's just too much. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, I like that uh, 
or you know, we've talked about this before, and we've talked to other nonfiction writers before that some of the fan interactions they have are so interesting. And, you know, we had Jeannie Vanasco who told us about people in prison contacting her. We had like so many strange interactions. And Melissa didn't really get into that, but she did sort of confirm that, yeah, people are sharing very personal things yeah. with her. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be, that seems to happen a lot to nonfiction writers yeah. who are very, you know, especially memoir writers or essay writers. Which could be so gratifying and feel like you really did this great service, but could also, that's just a lot to carry as a human and to, I imagine, feel like every time you open your email, be like, all right, yes. I got to get the emotional bandwidth to kind of deal with this because of, you know, what I put out there. Yeah. No wonder she has to kind of, she she said there's a lot to get to. Yeah. A lot of emails. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's no wonder. Understandable. Mm-hmm. I also loved hearing that authors that released books last year during that time all kind of banded together virtually and yeah. like checking in on each other. And that's nice to hear because it is what a tough time, especially for a debut. That's I mean, yeah. And I know we've tough. talked about this before, but, you know, I think a lot of authors in a typical year, they would spend a lot of time out in bookstores and out at events trying to promote their books. And, you know, people didn't get to do that last year. Right. So that's a real they're missing a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I like that uh, she's interested in people's publication story now, you know, like being on the other side of stuff, understanding how publishing is kind of strange and weird. Every time she's reading a book, she's like, how did this come to be? How did this happen? I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That is great. I love the rewatching Battlestar Galactica, not Mm -hmm. because I've ever watched it, but Mm -hmm. because of you guys' interaction. That was a time that I felt like I might need to leave and let you have a moment because you guys were getting it. would have let you leave Mm -hmm. and just talked about Battlestar Galactica and got real nerdy. And none of that would have been released to listeners because I don't think anyone wants to hear that. I mean, it might have been. (laughs) Who knows? I just, I didn't have anything productive to add at that point, so... Um, she introduced us to a whole new world of music writing, too. Yes. March Exodus. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. I've dove into that site. There's a lot there. And if you're interested, the brackets start very soon. I just noticed that today on March 1st, I think. You can, oh. like, it's almost like, you know, if you're into, yeah. yeah, if to sports. I don't know how the brackets work. But if you're into that, <laughs> you can do it with music. I love that you went into that so confident. That's like, so I am confident. I'm so into this. Listen, basic concept, totally foreign to me. Music writing, love it. Yeah, that's that's a good summary of what just happened. Yeah. yeah. I did, when she was talking about that, though, I did think two things. One, that sounds right up Amy's alley. And two, that sounds like something Amy should participate in. I will the future. S- admit that I signed up for next year's lottery. Good. Because what you have to do is like sign up and then you may or may not get picked to write for next year. But immediately after this interview, I went and signed up. Good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Also, I will tell you too that I didn't know this before we got into our interview, but she's in a band. Yeah. It blew my mind. That is amazing. Listen to her album. <sighs> I mean, I'm, maybe it's good that I didn't listen to that. Prior. Before, yeah, it'd be too much. Oh, I'm sorry, Melissa. <laughs> I apologize for what's happening. <laughs> I think it's all good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? We will be back next Wednesday with our regular weekly themed episodes. In the meantime, happy reading.
up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're, they're coming out of me, and... To me, I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor, the final evidence, the heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You, you, you hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you. This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. <laughs> because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.